This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Witch Digital. If you're a witchy small business owner, hello, then listen up. Are you tired of feeling like the only digital marketing help out there is some ultra-modern agency filled with mansplainers? Do you wish there was a digital marketing agency made by and for people like you? Yes, you, my Witchwave listener. Then let me introduce you to Witch Digital, a team of marketing witches based in Virginia and New York City. Whether it's branding, a new website, or helping you make sense of social media, the Witch team has helped more than 20 small businesses in the past year alone achieve their goals. So if you've been putting off hiring someone to help you with your digital marketing efforts, consider this your sign. It's time to take the first step by reaching out to the team at Witch Digital. So head on over to witchdigital.com, and in this case, witch is spelled V-V-I-T-C-H, and mention the Witch Wave to save 10% off your first service. This episode of the Witch Wave is brought to you by UBU Skills. Curious about shadow work but don't know where to start? Seeking a fresh outlook with new eyes? Megan Hamilton is a speaking, visibility, and confidence coach and tarot reader, and she's put together a free workbook called Me and My Shadow. Best-selling author and TEDx speaker Jericho Mandiber calls it, quote, an equal parts raw roadmap and warm hug. This is the perfect entry point into the magical and revealing world of shadow work, unquote. Grab your copy at ubuskills.com slash witchwave. That's the letter U, the letter B, the letter U, skills.com slash witchwave. And find out how Witchwave listeners can work with Megan at 10% off. The world is filled with bewitching people, and you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave. Hello and welcome to the Witch Wave. Happy, happy spring, everyone. I am so excited about this new season and I'm welcoming in tons of beauty and blossoming and abundance for us all. And I'm particularly excited about today's episode because I've got beauty on the brain and I get to speak with a hugely magical craftsperson whose work I've long admired and that is Tessa Perlo. Now, I've spoken and written about the word craft before and about how it connects to both art making and magic making. But today I'm thinking specifically about the hand as a tool of art crafting and witch crafting. Certainly, we can think of many healing practices that involve the application of hands, such as Reiki and massage. My grandma Trudy always said she had healing hands, and when she placed them on an aching head or neck or back, the pain would just melt away. She even allegedly healed a horse with a wounded leg once, who promptly stood up and trotted away after she put her palms on him. Now, you may have heard the word chiromancy, which is a fancy term for palm reading, and it's derived from the word chiro, which means hand. And speaking of horses, the famous centaur of Greek mythology was named Chiron, which roughly translates to skilled with the hands. Chiron was a healer and a teacher of medicine, herbalism, archery, music, and prophecy. 
And in astrology, our Chiron placement is said to show us the parts of our lives which have the most opportunity for healing. Whenever I get to speak with craftspeople of any stripe, they inevitably end up talking about how working with their hands feels meditative, healing, and deeply divine. And Tessa Perlow's words today certainly reflect some of those sentiments. But in addition to her embroidered hoops and garments that she creates and decorates, I'm also thinking about hands in regard to her and her work because Tessa is perhaps most notorious for making magical gloves that are both art pieces and spell workings unto themselves. After she and I spoke, I remembered a passage from a wonderful book on magical adornment called The Devil's Raiments by Martin Duffy. In it, Duffy writes about the ways in which sorcerers and witches dress, or in some cases, wear nothing at all, during ritual and spell work. There's a section in The Devil's Raiments, which is called of the hand and its adornments. And in it, Duffy writes the following, quote, It is unsurprising then that in folk magic, both the amuletic outstretched hand and the pentagram are considered protective. In particular, the five points of the pentagram are assigned to the five fingers, thereby denoting the round of life, birth, maternity, wisdom, and death. The hand becomes a mnemonic, enciphering the pentad as an expression of the natural cycles. Accordingly, does the glove and the hand it fits, like the scabbard sheathing the sword, become symbolic of the generative organs and the feminine mysteries connected with the tides of creation and destruction. In this manner are hands a vehicle of action through which things may be shaped, molded, and crafted into being or broken apart in accordance with the design seen in the mind's eye. That is to say, they are directed by head and heart. It is in agreement with this that the creative and destructive agencies are housed in the vessels of the right and left hands. Unquote. Mm -mm -mm. Yes, the whole book is that tasty. And of course, all of this talk of magic hands also reminds me of the Hamsa, which is the hand-shaped amulet in Jewish folk magic that is hung in the home, often near a doorway, and which is supposed to both protect one's dwelling and be open for receiving of blessings for all who enter. Tessa Perlow's work is amuletic too. It is protective and incredibly beautiful with all of its shimmering symbols, and the fact that she makes it all by hand means that she is transferring her healing magic from her fingers and palms straight to you. And it was such a pleasure to speak with her about all of this and so much more. But before we get to that, first let's check and see what's come through on the witch wire who is it witches noel writes i am very fortunate i have a backyard filled with milky quartz violets sweet gum trees etc intellectually i understand that these are magical and have magical and medicinal purposes but I'm having a very hard time internalizing that and believing it. I think I'm stuck with the capitalist mindset that things have to be rare to be valuable. How can I change my mindset to truly appreciate the magic around me? I really love this question. 
First of all, I love thinking about your home being surrounded by crystals and magic plants. And at least some part of you recognizes that that's a really special thing. So first, I would just like to invite you to pause and let yourself feel gratitude for these gifts. You may even try saying thank you out loud to them or leaving an offering outside for them and just seeing how that feels because right now the words that you're using are very, I don't know, separating or objectifying. I don't mean that in a judgmental way. I just mean they imply that these are things that are outside of you. When in fact, these are all elements that you can be and you frankly already are in relationship with. So what does it feel like to say hello to the violets? Or when you're taking some milky quartz out of the ground, what does it feel like to leave some bird seed behind in exchange? I also want to address the aspect of your question about rarity. And in doing so, let me remind you that so often... What is plentiful or mundane seeming to one person is actually a complete rarity to another. So for those of us who live in big cities or on different terrain than you do, milky quartz and violets and sweet gum trees are just as exotic and special to us as, I don't know, amethyst and roses of Jericho might be to you. But perhaps most importantly, I want to remind you that witchcraft is traditionally not about using rare, expensive ingredients or procuring the fanciest tools. Witchcraft is a practice of the people, and so it is very much based on practices that are hyper-local and super-personal. It's about using whatever you have to hand, whatever is growing in your garden or in the forest near your house. It's about mixing up a potion from your own kitchen cupboard or fashioning a cape or magic necklace or wand from elements that you already have or can easily find or repurpose and making it super personal. Because remember, this current age that we're in of being able to order anything that we want on the internet or getting to go to a trendy witch shop is actually a really recent development because when the modern witchcraft movement started exploding in the middle of the 20th century, there really weren't any occult shops, at least not in the ways that we have them everywhere now. People made their own magical tools and ceremonial garments and likewise, they were using ingredients that they could find right where they were living. And certainly that's what's always been done in the days before healers and fortune tellers and service magicians started identifying as witches. Magical people have always done the best with what we have. And that is one of the great truths of magic. You can find it and make it anywhere with pretty much anything as long as you do it with intention imagination and raised energy so my recommendation to you is to do a little bit of research about these minerals and plants that are naturally surrounding your home learn about their magical properties their medicinal properties and their folklore and know that you are so blessed with this abundance of natural magic that is just waiting to connect with you. I hope that helps, and please do tell the quartz and the violets and the sweet gum trees that I say hello. Now, on to my guest. Tessa Perlow is an artist specializing in embroidery and beading. Her work is inspired by magic and nature, and she uses stitching to transform secondhand materials into special, one-of-a-kind pieces. Tessa was born and raised in New Jersey and grew up with a passion for arts and crafts. She then went on to study fashion design at FIT in New York and then fell in love with embroidery post-grad while pursuing a path as an independent working artist. 
Symbols play a large role in her work, often with recurring themes of plants and animals in a dreamy fantasy space. This year, Tessa just launched a YouTube channel, creating videos showing behind-the-scenes processes, as well as tutorials. When she's not in her workroom stitching in the company of her cats, Uzi and Drew, she is usually going on nature walks in the nearby parks and forests. Tessa joined me from her home in Philadelphia via Zoom. Tessa Perlow, welcome to The Witch Wave. Thank you so much for having me. I am so, so, so happy to talk with you. I've been such a fan of your work for many, many years now, and getting to see some of it hanging behind your head right now is so <laughs> exciting, too. Our lovely listeners can't see it, but I get to gaze at it. So what a treat. So, Tessa, I always love to start conversations about art with as much description as possible so my listeners yeah. can try to envision your work and hopefully, of course, they'll go look it up for themselves. Mm -hmm. How do you describe your work to people if they don't have the pleasure of just getting to view it? Mm, that's a good question. I start by saying my work is heavily embellished, embroidery and beading that's inspired by magic and nature Ugh. with a focus sometimes on fashion and sometimes... I suppose, objects. That's kind of where I start describing it. And then I also like to mention that I make things using repurposed materials. Mm, fabulous. Mm -hmm. And can you elaborate a little bit more on the magic and the nature aspects of your work? Well, it's funny because I think those words are interchangeable, especially in recent years. My biggest inspiration is, I suppose, magic. And I've been on a journey about learning about magic and being drawn to it. And I think it goes hand in hand with always growing up having loved nature, even just learning how to embroider and wanting to delve into it. My go-to have been like embroidering plants and flowers and really just practicing through that because I'm like, well, I love plants and flowers and that just makes sense to me. I've also always loved the visuals in magic, but specifically I think witchcraft and the tarot especially. Mm. I guess through the years, I've just felt like they're really the same thing. And it's been kind of letting everything come in as inspiration, both magic and nature, but also them being pretty much each other at the same time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Maybe we can also kind of expand upon that. And mm -hmm. have you even described some of the pieces that you have hanging behind you? Yeah. Right now, for example, there's mm -hmm. a piece that I told you before we started recording. I have flirted with this piece online <laughs> shamelessly. I mean, I spend kind of a weird stalkerish amount of time on your <laughs> Instagram and on your website. So can you describe a couple of the pieces and some of the symbols? Definitely. With my work, usually when I'm feeling the best about it, I'm coming at it as if I'm trying to make a spell or I'm thinking about symbols that I want to use in my life as helpful motivators and whatnot, or even just like as symbols of magic. Magical trees are a big symbol I like to use, as well as different animals. Like the piece behind me has a bambi and a spiral and a rose. And I also very much so feel inspired by seasonal inspirations and symbols as well. So now that we're entering spring, I'm thinking a lot about the flowers that I'm starting to see like on hikes, like snowbells. But sometimes it can be a bit more abstract where it's really just something that's come to mind. And I'm like, oh, I feel like a snake is important right now to be using in my work. And what else am I trying to cultivate right now? And then use the different symbols or certain flowers that have certain meanings in the pieces. And so much of your work is, I would think of it as like talismanic. Mm. Behind you, for example, you have all these embroidered hoops that are hanging. Mm -hmm. You also make tapestries. You embroider clothing. Mm -hmm. You have beautiful sun catchers that you make. Mm -hmm. So things yeah. that are decorative and also mm -hmm. to me feel as if they have some kind of purpose of, like you said, I don't know, protection or manifestation. Does that resonate with you? Absolutely. I certainly want 
people to see my work and I don't necessarily always want it to be so obvious what I was feeling, but there's definitely a lot of that going into it because it's my work and it is an outlet for me to work through whatever I'm going through or whatever I need to be making. But I don't know, I think symbols are so magical and powerful. So I do like my pieces to have something of that where someone can see it and feel either protected or like, oh, this reminds me of confidence. That has been kind of a tool of mine if I need a creative prompt. I am like, what kind of spell would I want to do right now? Like, what kind of magic do I want to make? Or do I feel like I need to get out of me? And that like prompts drawing prompts, I suppose, that end up in the embroidery work. It's not always like that. It's certainly a balance because I also have to think about what's going to sell on a week-to-week basis. Like it is definitely balancing having a small business that is supporting me. And then also like the work that I most want to do, try to manage it all. Ooh, ooh, relatable content, my friend. Yeah, Yeah. it's interesting for sure. And it's been a journey, but even the smaller things are like the pieces that I'm more like, okay, I just need to make a bunch of smaller pieces that are more affordable for the shop and try to put magic in that as well. Yeah. And thank you for actually reminding me that you do work in so many different scales. You do have Mm -hmm. these smaller embroidered hoops that are super, they're still gorgeous and beaded and decorative, but you do work in these big, would you call them tapestries or quilts? Yeah. I would love to do more large scale works and even sculptural pieces. But yeah, I have some larger pieces. I definitely have some in the works that have been truly taking me like years. Would be the dream is like a massive embroidered tapestry. It's balancing everything, I guess, and little by little chipping away at the larger pieces Mm -hmm. while still making the shirts and the smaller hoops and stuff. I'd love to hear more about your process, especially at the ideation stage. Does it feel like what you're going to work on symbolically is intuitive? Or is there more research that goes into it? How do you approach Mm -hmm. what kind of stories you're going to be telling or spells you're going to be casting in each piece? That's a great question. I think it's a little bit of both. I certainly consume so much media and I read a lot of books depending on what I'm interested in at the moment but a lot of magic books or tarot related stuff movies as well but I think a lot of it is intuitive as well and having to do with where I'm at on a day-to-day or like weekly basis so where are you at right now what are some of the things you've been kind of obsessed with oh my goodness just today even (laughs) Currently, I'm very excited about, and this year in general, I'm interested in working on regaining my sewing skills because that's kind of my first creative love was making clothes and stuff in high school. And I have always sewn throughout the years, but once like embroidery started becoming my job, I put sewing on the back burner and I'm trying to incorporate both of those loves. Mm -hmm. So I'm working on a magician's jacket. I'm very intrigued at the thought of bringing Pamela Coleman Smith's art to life. I like to also fantasize that I'm a costume designer of some kind of Netflix show about the tarot and I'm making the costumes for it. Tessa, you're making me swoon. This is like my fantasy is to work with someone like you (laughs) and just make beautiful visual pictures and, and content for folks. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm working on a magician's jacket I'm very excited about. Oh, what does it look like if you're ready to share? Yeah, so I have a lot of this red velvet that my friend gave to me. She was working at a fabricating company and they were going to throw away all this velvet. So she's like, Tessa is always looking for fabric. So I have that as the base of it. And I'm also trying to incorporate some historical sewing kind of because I'm not super knowledgeable about it, but I'm very inspired by the way clothes were made in the past. It's Mm. very interesting and beautiful and like silhouettes are very strange and cool. I don't know, like the sleeves. And I'm very interested in the Victorian era and how they were very interested in the occult. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating to me. And even like that's the time period of when Pamela Coleman Smith was making the work for the tarot as well, the art for the tarot cards. So cool. It's all connected. But it's kind of, I suppose, like an Edwardian style puff sleeve coat but I have an Ouroboros beaded on the back with a rose 
I don't have the front planned yet, but probably some heavily beaded swords, cups, and roses and lilies and pentacles and some of the symbols from the table. But yeah, I haven't gotten too far on that one. Ugh. Excuse me while I wipe the drool from my face. <laughs> and Tessa, you must know I live mm. for a big sleeve moment. Yes. So I'm wearing one of many like puff sleeve cardigans mm -hmm. that I own and yeah. the, what I'm wearing has flowers on it. And I put this on for you, Tessa. I'll oh, have you now. You. Got a dress for I'm my guests. My no, you're perfect. <laughs> this is how mm -hmm. I get in the zone. So your magician's jacket just sounds like heaven on earth. Thank you. Yeah. And I'm also very much so inspired by Howl's Moving Castle right now, oh, the yes. Miyazaki film. Oh, yes. And Howl as a character I love and is well a wizard but also a witch in my eyes and so it's a magician's jacket but it's also kind of like Howl's jacket. Can you remind me what his jacket is like? He has actually like diamond patches kind of. Oh that's right. And it's pink and purple diamonds. That's something I've been thinking a lot about and revisiting that movie. So kind of Harlequin vibe a little? That's what his jacket certainly is. Ugh. The one I'm making Ugh. is kind of not, but I'm like, if I dressed towel, he'd be in heavily beaded <laughs> puff sleeve. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. On that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. So by now you know I love Wiser Books, and I'm really excited about one of their newest publications, which is called Heal the Witch Wound by Celeste Larson. Heal the Witch Wound is a book that's a practical guide for modern witches and healers full of rituals, journal prompts, visualization exercises, and other tools to overcome the witch wound, which is described as a collective, intergenerational psychic wound that has scarred people, mostly women, for centuries. Heal the Witch Wound is a witchcraft healing book with feminist overtones, guiding modern witches on the path of healing their own witch wound. The book unfolds in three parts. Part one journeys back into the burning times. Part two is rooted in the present moment and explores the most common signs and symptoms of the witch wound. And part three branches into the bright and brilliant future, offering an abundance of practices, both magical and mundane, to help heal the witch wound. And that includes step-by-step -step rituals, exercises, journal prompts, affirmations, visualizations, and other tools. Author Celeste Larson is a pagan witch, writer, ritualist, and esoteric business owner. She authors the blog Mage by Moonlight, where she writes about a range of esoteric topics including folk magic, Norse paganism, polytheism, animism, ancestor veneration, ritual practice, magical self-healing, and more. Originally from Texas, Celeste currently resides in beautiful County Cork, Ireland. So go ahead and read her new book, Heal the Witch Wound, or check out her website at www.magebymoonlight.com or at magebymoonlight on social media. The Witch Wave is sponsored by BetterHelp. So I love getting to learn new things. I'm an insatiably curious person, and that's one of the reasons I love doing this show. But I also love learning new things about myself and growing and challenging my own ideas about who I am in ways that benefit me and help me become an even better, more intentional version of myself. Now, I've lived in New York City for the majority of my life and for all of my adult life, and I have never owned a car here, and I've always been terrified of driving in the city. But over the last year, Matt and I bought this little house upstate, and so we had to buy a car to get to it. And I really committed to facing my fear and to adding this skill set to my life. You know, I used to drive all the time when I was a teenager in New Jersey, and I will drive outside of the city pretty comfortably. But driving in New York City to get to somewhere else has been this huge hurdle. That's why I'm so proud that I really took the time to interrogate my fears in therapy and 
in addition to some magical support that I developed for myself, I was able to learn that this is something that even though I was really terrified of it, I was capable of changing, I was capable of evolving, and now I drive in and out of the city with a lot more confidence and a lot more frequency. Getting to know yourself can be a lifelong process, especially because we're always growing and changing. Growth and change is good, even if it's uncomfortable. And therapy is all about deepening your self-awareness and understanding. Because sometimes we don't know what we want or why we react the way that we do until we talk through things. Talking through my own anxiety and fears, not only about driving in New York City, but about life in general, has been such a key aspect to keeping myself healthy and evolving in positive new ways. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. And no matter what your current issues are, your fears, your phobias, the things that are holding you back, BetterHelp will connect you with a therapist to talk this all through with. So if you're thinking of starting therapy yourself, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and has been designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge to make sure you're finding somebody who is exactly right for you. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash WitchWave today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash WitchWave. Black Phoenix Alchemy Lab is a specialty fragrance house currently celebrating its 20th year, now based in Philadelphia. Black Phoenix Alchemy Lab specializes in formulating body and household blends with a dark, romantic, gothic tone. And over the years, they've collaborated with so many of my heroes, including Neil Gaiman, Guillermo del Toro, and the Jim Henson Company. They continually return to inspirations drawn from history, mythology, literature, pop culture, and fine art. And they have a sister store called Twilight Alchemy Lab that creates oils blended and consecrated specifically for use in witchcraft and ritual magic. Keep up with their latest seasonal perfume releases by looking them up on social media. And Black Phoenix Alchemy Lab also now has a YouTube channel where they share scent reviews, announcements, and original video art. Perfume archives and customer reviews going back many years can be found at the fan-run bpal.org web forum. And of course, you can order all of Black Phoenix Alchemy Lab's decadent perfumes, oils, and more at blackphoenixalchemylab.com. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today, I'm speaking with Tessa Perlo. So we were just talking about this incredible jacket that you are slowly but surely creating. And it reminds me of, I think, the first piece of yours that caught my eye, which is how I fell in love with you and your work in the first place. And that is a pair of what you call the high priestess gloves. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I flirt with these gloves. Oh, do I just <laughs> check them out and I look them up and down and I fantasize about them constantly. It's shameless. Mm -hmm. It's shameless. It's an infatuation. Can you tell the good people about these gloves and what inspired you to make them? First of all, what do they look like? I've actually got them up on the wall right to my side. They are blue gloves made from linen that flare out towards the elbow, which is supposed to kind of mimic the sleeve that's happening in the High Priestess card in the tarot. Mm -hmm. And there are beaded pomegranates and triple moons beaded and water drops and then a black snake on one side and a white snake on the other side that kind of curl around to the back of the glove embroidered and some greenery as well embroidered. And they're kind of part of a series that I started 
I suppose, I think at this point, it's three years ago. I've always been intrigued by the tarot, I suppose since like a tween, but did not necessarily take the time to learn it. Mm -hmm. I think it was always kind of like a bit at a distance and just having an appreciation for the aesthetics of the cards. I was like, oh, I really want to take the time to know this through and through. And for me, what's helpful then would be to make work about it. And mm -hmm. that is like an excuse to learn more about any topic. But in this instance, it was the tarot. So I go card by card, starting with the major arcana. And that's how these came to be. I was like, oh, the high priestess is next. Ugh. I am still in the process of making gloves for this, but I have kind of gotten sidetracked a little bit this year. Yeah. I'm on the chariot and I have to walk around that card a little bit. So Interesting. I, yeah. <laughs> I have an idea that I want to do, but I'm like, I don't have the right fabric yet. Or like, I'm like, I'm just not. Mm -hmm. I drew something out and I was like, it's not right. And I'm not ready yet, but that's been interesting to face that I'm like, oh, something around this card. Yes. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to hear how this develops for you. Yeah. Can you talk about the gloves? Like what made you want to make gloves in the first place? Yeah, of course. Gloves have always seemed like something that was off limits as far as my sewing skills. Of all the things I've ever tried to sew, I had never sewn a glove and I just truly was like, I don't know if I'd be able to do that because it seems very complicated, small pieces going in the fingers and everything. Mm -hmm. So that's something even before I wanted to make an art piece, that's always kind of been a challenge that I've been like, oh, maybe one day I'll try to make some gloves or whatever. It kind of came about during the same time as the beginning of the pandemic and folks were wearing gloves more often. Yeah. And I suppose it's also an extension of me sometimes fantasizing about creating clothes for a character. Yes. Or even like cultivate in myself mm -hmm. in these different cards or what about the high priestess do I want to try to cultivate in myself and how can I work on something? And it's like, what would I wear that could help me remember the lessons that you learn from sure. these different specific archetypes. Sure. Do you intend for people to wear the gloves or are they hangable pieces, decorative pieces only? I see them as decorative pieces. They are wearable items. The fool's gloves I couldn't get on my hands because like the fingers are all too tiny and it's hard for me to sew. So I was like, these are definitely meant to be art pieces, even though I was like, dang, I like really wanted them to fit my hands. <laughs> I'm like, oh, they're wall pieces. I love the idea of clothing as art pieces. Mm -hmm. Same. And I love to see more clothes in museums and stuff. It blows my mind that there's not really a museum of clothing in America. Even the Met just has their like... The Costume Institute. Institute yeah. every so often. And it's not like a constant display or wing of the museum. Well, there's the FIT Museum, and I did go to FIT, so I'm like, I guess that I got to give that. <laughs> and they do some nice exhibits. I remember their fairy tale mm -hmm. exhibition from, gosh, was that five years ago? Probably longer. What is time after the pandemic? Indeed, yeah. But I hear you that it doesn't yeah. feel like there's just a fully dedicated institution for looking at and displaying fashion through history. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Kind of the Victoria and Albert, but I guess that's more crafts in general. Yeah, that's not fashion. You're right. I've never been to England. I want to go to that museum so badly because I do think it has the largest collection of textile art on display mm -hmm. of any museum. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that I might have made that up, but I think I heard that. <laughs> it sounds right to me. <laughs> well, yeah. I'd love to dive a little deeper into the topic of fashion as magic because mm. I love the idea of adornment. And I mm -hmm. love the idea of putting on clothes or jewelry or makeup, whatever, as a kind of yeah. glamour magic and Definitely. a way that we can kind of, whether it's armoring ourselves or mm -hmm. bringing out some element in ourselves or helping us connect with some element of the divine. I just find it so intriguing. In my own life, I certainly dress yeah. with intention. So mm -hmm. when did you start to think of fashion as potentially a container for magic? Oh, mm. well, I'd say when I was a child, I certainly saw fashion as this amazing fantasy that mystified me and drew me to wanting to learn how to make clothes because I saw it as such magic and was so interested in especially embellished clothes. It just perplexed me that people could make something like that. Mm -hmm. Couture, and that's especially like made with your hands. But in the beginning, 
I just kind of fell into everything, but also I felt very pressured that I just wanted to make enough money to support myself and eventually maybe not work part-time jobs and stuff. So I don't think I was thinking too conceptually about necessarily what I was doing. I was very inspired, but there wasn't so much thought put into it the way I feel now. I think somewhere between that time, like maybe three or four years ago, I really wanted to be as intentional as I could. And with that comes the magic, I think. With the intention, then it's just inherent when you're working on something and spending all that time with a garment. Definitely also with repurposing things it's magic to me to take something that someone discarded or, you know, donated to a thrift store or whatever. And it had its life, but now it can become something very fantastical with beads and thread and a lot of flowers. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I want to talk about beads specifically because Mm -hmm. I'm such a pro. I just love shiny things. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I also love to dress with like a lot of sparkle and flash. Right. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I was growing up being drawn to a lot of that and then I don't know what happened but feeling like oh that's like garish or it's tacky Mm. and then as I got older coming back to it and being like fuck it I just love (laughs) to sparkle I love to sparkle and so Mm -hmm. what is it like for you working with beads they're also so crystalline Mm. too like there's all of those associations as well I've always been drawn to more is more sparkly I just love extravagance and like, and I grew up somewhat plainly, I want to say. I think that's why I was like, I need to make these things. I want beaded extravagance in my life. So I guess I have to make them because I don't know where you find them. And I certainly can't afford a crazy beaded garment or whatever. Mm -hmm. Beads are especially magical. They're like adding just the most fantasy because they're like glittering and they almost have their own kind of spirit to them. I love working with beads. It makes me think too of So I was raised Jewish and Mm -hmm. my Torah portion during my bat mitzvah Mm -hmm. was actually about how Aaron, who, if Mm -hmm. I'm remembering correctly, is Moses's brother. And he was like a high priest. And Ah, there's this passage where God basically says, like, this is how I would like you to dress as a high priest. And there's a whole list of all these magic stones that Aaron is supposed to wear as part of his garment to do Uh this divine work. And, you know, let's decouple this conversation from all of the biblical, political Mm -hmm. (laughs) turmoil that we can get into and just talk about that as like a beautiful passage of adornment in order to meet the divine or bring out your most divine self. And that's kind of what beading makes Mm. me think of too. I don't know if that resonates with you. Definitely. And even color as well, like the choices of color. I don't necessarily use semi-precious stones, but I'm starting to (gasps) here and there because I have so many beads. I have beads my friends have given me and I'm like, oh wow, I have little tiny rose quartz beads. (gasps) Rose quartz has specific connotations properties yeah exactly that would be so much fun to take things to another level and they've just been sitting in a bowl like they need life (laughs) can you imagine yeah Mm -hmm. so fabulous and what is it like i mean this is such meticulous work i imagine it's also kind of meditative as well physically how does it feel to be creating with essentially string and a needle i Mm. mean what is that like for you Well, it's very natural for me because I've been doing it for so long. And in a lot of ways, it's like my soothing activity for sure. I mean, I do spend every day at least stitching something. It's kind of like I wake up and right away just kind of like work on things without thinking almost. Mm. It is peaceful and it is meditative. Absolutely. Lately, I'm like, oh my God, I need to counter all of this physicality because it can be trying on the body as well. It's like a lot of sitting down as well as my fingers are very callous from catching the needle. Ever since I was a child, I was either sitting down and drawing for like eight hours a day. I spend a lot of time sitting and working, especially, yeah, sewing. I don't know. I love it. I feel very connected to all the other folks out there who are stitchers as well, because it's such a specific thing. Mm -hmm. And historically, it's very much so like across all the lands, there have been people embroidering in all different time periods. So and usually women, right? Usually women, usually unrecognized. Yeah, it's a very special craft and quite magical. I think the act of stitching things together 
but also just the act of creating something out of thread just onto a fabric and changing it completely. Absolutely. On that note, we're going to take another quick break and we'll be right back. I want to tell you about Pendulum Swings Tarot. This is an offering from an incredible reader named Kathleen who does a whole host of different readings. But what I love about the tarot reading that I got is that it was all done via email. And that's what she specializes in. She will do a reading for you based on a question that you send her. And then she takes a photograph of the cards that come up and she writes out in great detail what the cards are saying to her and what messages are coming through. And I loved my reading because, as you can imagine, I've gotten a lot of different readings over the years. And I often spend a lot of the session trying to jot down notes and trying to remember and absorb everything the reader said. And in this case, getting this beautifully written out reading really helped me take my time to absorb the messages and allow me to go back and reread it as often as I can so I can really be present for everything that the cards were communicating for me. Through the Pendulum Swings Tarot, Kathleen offers many different types of readings which are all psychic and intuitive and emailed to you. And these offerings include tarot readings, year ahead readings, past life regressions, and spirit communication. And Kathleen says that she chose the title of The Pendulum Swings because she finds that the swing of the pendulum carries meaningful, symbolic significance, the ebb and flow of life. And she wants to help people navigate extremes like the pendulum to eventually deliver us to a position of balance and insight. And once again, this will all be emailed to you so you can read it on your own time and reference it later. You can find the Pendulum Swings Tarot on Instagram at the Pendulum Swings Tarot, on Etsy at Kathleen's Etsy shop, which is Pendulum Swings Tarot. And she is offering 13% off any of her readings if you use code my wave 13. That's my wave 13 for 13% off any reading from the Pendulum Swings Tarot. I so appreciated my reading, and I think you're really going to love it too. Ooh, I am very excited to tell you about Bloom. Bloom is an audio platform setting a new standard for pleasure with steamy, intimate stories, guides, and relaxation content dedicated to helping you explore what really turns you on. The different types of content that Bloom offers include Bloom Intimates, which are plot-based audio stories with multiple characters, Bloom Play Sessions, which include dirty talk role-playing sessions and guided pleasure sessions for couples or just for yourself, and Bloom Wind Downs, which are Bloom's relaxation content, which includes meditations and sleep soundscapes. And you're probably going to need them after getting all revved up from everything else that Bloom offers. Bloom also has some really fun features like a reader function, so you can follow along with the story or read without the audio anytime. They also have a spicy indicator that shows you exactly when the hot action starts. And premium users can submit their fantasies to the writing team for a chance to see their desires brought to life in a Bloom story. And everyone can listen to a sample of every story for free on Bloom's website. And if you want to upgrade to their premium offer, you can save 20% on a monthly subscription or 50% on an annual subscription by using promo code WITCHWAVE. So check Bloom out at www.bloomstories.com. And don't forget to use offer code WITCHWAVE for your premium subscription discount. Would you like even more WitchWave? Do you wish you could hear from me and my other bewitching guests on a weekly basis? 
then come join us on Patreon, where you'll get bi-weekly bonus Witch Wave Plus episodes, ad-free Witch Wave episodes, and detailed show notes for all. Rewards for some tiers also include magical merch and contests where you can win witchly prizes each month, as well as early heads up about my workshops before they sell out. And all backers get access to our exclusive digital coven, where I lead monthly online rituals and where you can connect to a community of other wonderful witch wave witches around the world. So head on over to patreon.com slash witchwave and sign up. It's a fabulous way to get more magic in your life and to support the show. Thank you so much. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today I'm speaking with Tessa Perlow. Tessa, I'd love to hear more about some of your influences and inspirations. I mean, one that's popping into my head when I think about you is Dior's tarot line. I don't know if you got a chance to see the Dior yes. show at the Brooklyn Museum, but... Oh, uh, no. I wish I had. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it sounds like you've been working in this space before even the Dior tarot line. Maybe they were copying you, for goodness sake. I don't think so. <laughs> but who are some other inspirations, whether in the fashion world or art world in general? Ooh, yes. Well... Growing up, I'd say I was very much inspired by Alexander McQueen and Vivian Westwood yes. as far as fashion goes. And then art, I mean, oh my goodness, I love surrealism, Frida Kahlo, Leonora Carrington, absolutely. I really loved Gustav Klimt growing up as a kid. Oh, I can so see that, especially yeah, how, oh yeah, those mm -hmm. shimmering gold, really detailed yes. works of fashion that he painted in all of his Oh my God, yes. And Emily Floget, I think is how you say his muse, but she was also a fashion designer and made a lot of the clothing. Ah. She was a really cool person to learn about. Mm. And I love the arts and crafts movement of that time period as well. I just love old things as well, like in museums that I don't necessarily know if you could put an artist to and time periods as well, like the Victorian era and the embroideries from back then, mm -hmm. clothing throughout history. I also love like the arts and crafts movement of the 1960s and 70s. Yes. That reminds me, I was reading an interview with you from a few years back, but someone asked how you describe your aesthetic and you said, part eccentric grandmother part Midsummer Night's Dream and part oh 1960s God. folk art movement. That's amazing. I don't remember <laughs> saying that, but that is definitely, <laughs> that says it. Yeah. I, yep. Midsummer Night's Dream. I remember reading that in high school, but really falling in love with like the movie that was made in the 90s and the flowers. And I loved listening to Florence and the Machine and like her aesthetic was very inspiring to me with the flowers creeping up the microphone sure. and it's a bit darker too. And very pre-Raphaelite as well, it feels. Absolutely. I love that era as well. Florence needs your high priestess gloves. Come she on. <laughs> we got to get those Absolutely. to her. We'd be happy anytime. She <laughs> Florence, if you're listening, we've got the perfect pair of gloves for you. Although I might take mm -hmm. them first. We'll see. <laughs> amazing. Mm -hmm. Amazing. And now what about in your own life? I mean, were you raised with any sense of artistry from your family or from mm. school? Where does that influence come in? Well, my mom is a quilter. For, ah. She doesn't consider herself creative, which is funny because she's always been very crafty mm. and she taught me how to sew. But it was on my request. I was like, please teach me how to sew. I need to know how to sew. Mm -hmm. Like my other sisters didn't necessarily get into sewing. Drawing was something that really captivated me. And I love fantasy and movies and shows which goes hand in hand I think with like creativity are we talking like labyrinth never-ending story vibes or are wow. there other movies what were the movies that you were thinking about Ooh, I grew up watching Sabrina the Teenage Witch which is like fun. I don't know if that's movie that counts that counts I loved Hook growing up with Robin Williams totally and I suppose like we did watch a fair amount of Disney I can't say that that's like much of an inspiration for me now not that it doesn't have its like influences 
You know, people kind of roll their eyes about Disney, mm-hmm. but I found so many of those films deeply inspirational and still some of the most incredible artists and designers work for that company. And we can all yeah. say what we want to about Disney as a corporation, but in terms of the totally. artistry that goes into those yeah. films, I those mean, backgrounds. oh my goodness, Mary Blair, like mm. Mary Blair, for those who don't know, she did a lot of the background painting and conceptual designs for some of the films, Sleeping Beauty. I think is maybe the most famous one. Yeah, but Alice in Wonderland. And Mm. there's a whole book of Mary Blair's art that you can Mm. look up. And she was such a pioneer and an inspiration. So no shame in Disney. I just tried to consume everything. I just love movies in general. And music was a big inspiration as well. I spent a lot of time at my library. I loved Brian Froud's fairies. Uh. And fairies in general, something I was really drawn to as a kid. Yes, me too, me too. Yeah, The Dark Crystal, great. But I think I saw that later in life, mm-hmm. somewhat recently. I was like, how did I not see this as a kid? I don't even think you were born when it came out. That's how. <laughs> Give yourself a little bit of grace, my friend. <laughs> my younger sister, too, like we spent a lot of time together. And even to this day, like we're best friends and very close and we're both each other's creative consultants almost where we just love watching things and talking about them or like going places and getting inspired and discussing and we spent so much time as kids together drawing or coming up with stories playing but in a kind of fantastical way and I think also encouraging each other's different creative desires I always loved fashion but Carlin definitely she's interested in like more of a fine arts and sculpture kind of thing Mm -hmm. now we're both fluid I suppose I'm like oh I don't have to choose one thing you can kind of do it all and it's all art and she's kind of learned how to sew a bit as well so like We're always kind of still discussing our creative pursuits. And it's helpful to me, at least, to have someone else who's always thinking about what they want to be making. Definitely, definitely. Now, when you first came on my radar, I know that you live in Philly now. But mm-hmm. I always thought of you as a New Jersey artist. Oh, I, <laughs> I still think of myself as a New Jersey artist. Hell too. yes. <laughs> and obviously, I'm biased since that's where I grew up, mm-hmm. though I've lived in New York City for most of my life at this point. Mm-hmm. But as I've gotten older, I've gotten more retrospectively fond of and protective of New Jersey. So is that I'm where insane. you grew up or did you just move there after college? No, I grew up in New Jersey. I grew up in West Long Branch. Oh, <gasps> stop. That's where my grandma's from. Well, my grandparents lived in West Long Branch and my grandma was a librarian for the West Long Branch Library. I'm sure I knew her then because my family, we were just at the library all the time and we knew all the people working there. And I still love that library. I'm like, I miss that library. I wonder if you and I ever had our paths crossed because I would hang out at the West Long Branch Library all the time with Grandma Trudy. Yeah. Well, technically, I was born in Oceanport, and then we moved to West Long Branch when I was five. Mm-hmm. My mom grew up there. I'm telling wow. you, the connections. Most libraries, I think, have a very special energy to them because it's the library of my childhood. Yeah. Like, yeah I love the West Long Branch Library. That's where I saw my Brian Froud's fairies and uh, like taking out CDs every weekend. Uh, and, amazing. Yeah. I went to school first at Pratt, but I ended up transferring to FIT for fashion design. But I lived briefly kind of on campus and then decided to commute, Mm -hmm. both for like my comfort levels, but also to try to save money because dorms are expensive. Witches gotta (laughs) eat, baby. I get it. (laughs) Once I eventually ended up moving out, I lived in Asbury Park briefly. And then Ocean Grove was kind of where I had been living until recently. Even now, Philly is great, but it was kind of a choice last year. It's kind of a whole situation where there's a housing crisis and my landlords wanted to renovate the apartment and it was very difficult to find an apartment in New Jersey. So many people have been still dealing with, but I ended up in Philadelphia, which is also great. Philly's awesome. Oh, yes, yes. But I do feel a pull back to New Jersey. So I'm like, we'll see. And my mom and sister are still there and I'm very close with them. So I'm back and forth. New Jersey is so much more magical than people give it credit for. The Garden State, baby. Come on. (laughs) There's just like a funny thing when you're from New Jersey and you're like, people don't understand. And like, yes, it can be very frustrating. Yes. But like, there's a lot of great stuff about it, too. 
So a lot of the places you named are also places that my family is from and mm-hmm. or I have family still living in. So oh, you wow. and I are really like, cool. yeah, we're, we're, we're mm-hmm. zeroed in on each other. That's really exciting. Yeah. So let's talk moving forward. I mean, you said you want to work bigger. Mm-hmm. What other dreams are you hoping that you can manifest for yourself? Yeah. I always love inviting guests to speak into existence what they're yeah. hoping for. So what are some mm-hmm. next levels that you would like mm-hmm. to get to in your work or in your life or whatever comes yeah. to mind? This year, I firstly, I mean, every year I give myself the goal that I want to try to put on an art show and make work specific to that. It definitely takes a lot of planning and I never quite get to the place where I feel like I'm ready, but I'm like, you know what? That's always a goal of mine is I want to put on an art show with a theme, possibly a glove show. (laughs) And then another thing is I've started pursuing a YouTube channel because I want to share the skills that I know and also open up a little bit more because I'm a bit closed off on my social media and it's not necessarily intentional. I'm just kind of shy. It takes a lot for me to be eloquent. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to make YouTube videos that are along the lines of a tutorial. And I like watching other people's YouTube videos for learning purposes. And I think it's just interesting to me as far as like building community which I think is maybe more difficult on Instagram. I'm not sure other people might feel differently than me. That's another goal of mine. Basically learning how to make videos and being more comfy with it. Like I'm doing it, but I'm a little bit like, okay, I'm embarrassed. Oh, Tessa, Tessa, you are speaking my language right now. (laughs) I know, I know. This is a goal for Mm -hmm. me too. Maybe we can be accountability buddies for each other. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I've been publishing stuff, but I'm Mm -hmm. definitely like, oh God. It's a lot. I don't remember what I said. I can't watch my things after I do it, but I get a lot from seeing people's behind the scenes kind of thing. So I definitely want to share that and kind of answer more questions too, because I kind of want like a little intimate space to talk with other people who are making things or want to learn how to do embroidery and like don't know where to start. I love that. Yeah, that's another goal of mine. Exciting. And it sounds like you've already started that one. So congratulations. It takes a lot to put yourself out there on camera. Trust me, I know. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, yes. I mean, I've been saying it for like, years that I'd want to try starting it and it's taken me two years and now I've like finally started but Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. it's been a journey and it's gonna continue to be a journey I'm sure but like little by little you get better and more comfy Okay, Spirit. So we have an (laughs) art show. We Mm -hmm. have more video content and more comfort with video content and working nice and large more often. (laughs) These are wonderful goals. I think they're Mm -hmm. all very attainable for you, too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And in the meantime, you are so prolific, Tessa. Like, I can't believe how much Mm -hmm. new artwork and clothing pieces are on your site every time I look at it. You are incredible with your output. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I spend a lot of time working and I got a lot of ideas that I want to get out of me. So yeah, I want to work all the time. I'm trying to not be a workaholic, but like, I just do get a lot of joy out of making things. Mm. Well, you give a lot of joy. I just absolutely adore what you create. I (laughs) know that in my near future, I'm going to be living with some of your work. It just has to happen. I'm just (laughs) such a fan of yours. And I want to support all the magic that you're making and all the beauty that you're manifesting. So Tessa, in our final moments, how can people find you and connect with you? Oh, well... I suppose uh, if you'd like to see the work that I make, as well as my works in progress, you can follow me on Instagram, which is Tessa Perlo. You're welcome to check out my YouTube, which is (laughs) work in progress as well, (laughs) which is also Tessa Perlo. And I do have a website, which is where you can shop the stuff that I make, which is (laughs) TessaPerlo.com. Wow. Locking down all the handles. Good for you. Good (laughs) for you. Mm-hmm. Well, Tessa, thank you so much for sharing the beauty and the magic and the adornment and the embellishment with me and with our listeners today. And thank you so much for being on The Witch Wave. Thank you for having me. It means a lot. That's it for the show. 
thank you again to Tessa Perlo for sharing her resplendent handicrafts with me. Do you have questions, feedback, need some witchly advice, or just want to share something magical that happened to you recently? Drop us an email at witchwavepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, and you just might make it on the Witchwire. The Witchwave is a phantasmophile production written and produced by me, Pam Grossman. This episode was recorded and edited by Josh Wilcox and myself. Our theme music is the song Hand and Eye by Lycanthia. Our new Witchwave logo was designed by Thunderwing. Special thanks go to Matt Freeman, Lara Amtal, and Cece Pascal. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website and now buy Witchwave merch at witchwavepodcast.com. Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and give us lots and lots of sparkly stars. It really, truly makes a difference and helps other people find the show. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WitchwavePod, and you can check out my witch emoji for iPhone by going to witchemoji.com or downloading it in the App Store. Please consider ordering my book, Witchcraft, and or picking up my book, Waking the Witch, which are both available everywhere now. And if you want more Witchwave or you would just like to support the show, please join us over on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash witchwave. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on The Witchwave.